You're listening to the Cannabis Investing Network. Before we begin, a short disclaimer. The full disclaimer follows at the end of this episode. This podcast is a general communication and is being provided for entertainment and information purposes only. It is educational in nature and is not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment strategy, plan, feature, or other purpose. Please enjoy responsibly. Hello and welcome back to the Cannabis Investing Network podcast. My name is Manish and I'm joined today by the magnificent host, Abby T. Thank you, buddy. How's it going, man? Oh, I'm, uh, I'm doing okay. Doing okay. It's been an interesting week in the cannabis market. You're, all, you're extremely energetic for such a, uh, a bear market. Or a market crunch you know, we're facing. You know what? I, I think us, um, you know, just having done the market update and us about to get into an episode um, which is about the new reality of where we are right now, yeah. which is uh, the episode's called No More Easy Money. Welcome to the correction. You know, like welcome to the jungle. Oh. Right. And honestly, it has me. Um, I think one of these things, sometimes we, I walk away from this podcast after doing an episode. Yeah. And it really gets my brain kind of turning. Yeah, yeah. Right? And um, I'm actually feeling I'm actually feeling quite uh, positive, I would say, about the opportunity that's available to us right now in cannabis. Okay. Because um, when we started this podcast, we asked, is it too late to invest in weed stocks? And, and, and that was... Yes. Yeah, well, that was the <laughs> feeling that I had, that the valuations were getting away from me, right? Yeah. Like, I was trying to spend time to learn about these companies, and they would be jumping five or ten percent, and I would be feeling like I'm the FOMO, right? I'm missing out. It's going to run away. I'm missing the opportunity, right? Right. And um, six, eight months later, look at where we are. I mean, these are some these are some absolutely historic lows for some of these companies, and sometimes it's warranted, sometimes it's not. Now you're like, no mo, please get away from me. I don't <laughs> want these companies. <laughs> okay, uh, never mind. We're changing the title from FOMO to no mo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. uh, no okay. more of this bear market. Please. I'm glad we can laugh. I'm glad we can <laughs> laugh in times of despair. <laughs> but what we're going to talk about today is um, what is the state of the market we're in? What do I mean when I say, you know, welcome to the correction? How did we get here? Right. What, what, are, what is happening? Um, when I say I, I said no more easy money. Well, what is easy money? Right. What is it? What does it look like? What are the effects of easy money? And I'm not talking just about cannabis. I'm going to bring a lot of real estate examples into this. Okay. 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 Um, and a lot then of easy money in real estate. There can be. There can be, depending, right? Um, so, and then lastly, what does it all mean? What's the shakeout? What's the net effect of all of this? Um, how are companies going to be negatively impacted by this? What are some of the positives of this? What are some mm-hmm. of the silver linings that have me a little bit upbeat today? And how do we strategize? How do we as investors take advantage and ultimately make money in an environment like this? Because at the end of the day, you know what, when, when everything is half priced, yeah, right, that's an opportunity to make money if we can find the right strategies. Gotcha. And, I, and I think there's those opportunities there today. I think, I think they're actually even better than they, um, than they were six months ago. Because evaluations have come back. Because the valuations have come back and, well, okay, let's, let's get into it. How did we get here? Well, I just want to start off by saying, you know, for s- over six months, mm-hmm. you and I have been meeting here, recording these podcasts, um, and, you know, the, some of them didn't come out till later. But we were talking forever, you and I, since we met, about the fact that Canadian LPs are overvalued. Yes. And we said that in just general terms, you know, just broad strokes. 
And but I feel like we had a good rationale for why they were overvalued at the time. Mm-hmm. And we weren't we didn't have a crystal ball. We weren't looking forward. We just said, hey, listen, this doesn't make sense in any other industry. Why is it making sense in cannabis? Cannabis is not immune to the laws of business. Mm-hmm. And we're finally seeing that story play out. Right. So we've talked about the last few weeks also how things have shifted from a tell me story to a show me story. So if I was going to give you an analogy, okay, um, when you build a condominium, okay, uh, uh, like a, a tower, right? In condos, there's a phrase that goes, you sell the sizzle, not the steak. So that's, what, a, that's a common saying in sales. Yeah, but yeah. I'm saying in condos, it's very applicable in, okay. to, for real estate. So what that means is that a condo developer succeeds by going out and essentially pitching um, you know, the, the condo opportunity to condo buyers and buyers, right. and they buy a floor plan. So essentially they sign an agreement that, yes, I will buy a unit. I'm going to pay, let's say, half a million dollars for the unit, and it will be delivered Sometime in the future, maybe you say it's maybe two years, could be three years. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I fell victim to this. Yeah. <laughs> I, bought a, I bought a, I think the term is called pre-construction. There you go. Right? There you go. We, we found a rube. Yeah, <laughs> I, found, I, I, I had literally, it was called a groundbreaking opportunity and the ground had not been broken yet. So this was you buy your money or sorry, you put your money in and they will actually break ground and they had like a whole ceremony and everything. Right. The room was filled with sizzle. Yeah, exactly. Stuff. But that, that's what it is. It, and, Look, it's partly out of necessity. Like, condo builders have to pre-sell their units to get financing from the bank. And one of the risks is that things can happen to that project, right? They can run into zoning issues. They can run into construction issues. Weather issues. All, all kinds of things. Market, market conditions can change. All kinds of things that can happen, right? Mm-hmm. So you're taking risk. There's uncertainty, right? But for taking that risk, you get a discount. Exactly. That's the theory, right? The idea yeah. is if you were to buy this unit, um, if it was already built today, you'd be paying a premium, right? right. Um, so there's there's give and take. And that, that's and ultimately what I'm getting at is that if you lined up a bunch of first-time developers, they'd never done it before, and you know everybody just sold the sizzle, some people would be really good at selling sizzle, right? But they would, and they would get a lot of buyers to sign up, but then we don't actually know if they can build the building. Right. right, and that is the reality check moment. When it's three years later, and you still haven't built anything, right? It's like, hey, there's not even a crane up. What's going on here, right? The ground is still not broken. Exactly, exactly. And then investors are, or condo buyers, let's say, are understandably peeved. Like, hey, what's going on here? And even if it's a good project, real builder, and they're just delayed, there's a fear, right? People mm-hmm. don't know. Is this, oh, did I just throw my money away? Am I stuck now? What's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. So that is part of what we are seeing right now. Abby and I talked forever about Canadian LPs are overvalued. What, we, what I failed to realize was that once the numbers start coming out and people start paying attention and seeing how, that these big companies are overvalued, what I didn't think was that the rest of the market would go down with it. I didn't think that there would just, with broad strokes, everybody would get hammered with it. The right. baby would be thrown out with the bathwater. Exactly. It's a very morbid exactly. analogy. I, that gets I, used all the time for some reason. That's just okay to use. Yeah, it's Jeez. totally fine. Throwing out babies in bathwater? Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's that. that's what surprised me, okay? But to be clear, some of what is happening right now is legitimate. Some of it should be happening. And wh- why I say it's a correction is because you have some companies trading for a billion dollars that are probably not even worth a fraction of that. 
And this is what I mean when I say correction. We have to come back to reality and take more um, realistic, a re- more realistic look at this business. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we got here. And so before you go to the next topic. So, so I, I'm just getting into how we got here, some of the specifics. So uh, what I wrote here is it's, it's just as a natural progression of shifting from tell me to show me. Right. Where the biggest guys, the show me story doesn't look very good. Right? Like the biggest, oh, like the okay, canopies. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. They the have canopies executed on their that, business plan. Yeah. Like, and the numbers, you're like, oh, these are terrible numbers. Yeah. And also a lot of it has to do with people. This, a lot of the money has been raised in the last two years. Well, if you, I was looking at something on YouTube that was a, a sort of intro to cannabis investing, and it was in 2018. And the guy starts by looking at some, you know, statistics from investment banks and analysts, et cetera. And my jaw dropped when I saw this, all right? He was, there was a projection for what the cannabis market would be in 2019, okay? Mm-hmm. And this is a year ago. They projected in 2019 it was going to be a $4.6 billion market, okay? Wow. This one analyst, investment bank, whatever. Do you know what it's going to be in 2019? It's going to be about a billion dollars. So a quarter of <clears throat> of projected. Yeah, not even. Like one out of four and a half billion is probably like 20%, mm-hmm. right? It's like two out of nine. It's insanely low, insanely low. So if you think about the fact that people were working off those really aggressive numbers mm-hmm. and they use they probably use those to justify or estimate the valuations of the companies. Mm-hmm. When you go from four and a half billion to one billion, you lost 80%, right? So when your companies lose a bunch of their value from what they were valued at a year ago, yeah. that kind of makes sense. That's not like an unreasonable thing to happen, right? A lot of the projections were just too aggressive. Mm-hmm. And I blame a lot of the companies, too, who came out and gave guidance and said, oh, yeah, we're going to do you know, this much in sales next year, right? When, they, when there was too much uncertainty to be able to say that, yeah, right? So this is what happens. You give really aggressive guidance and it allows you to raise a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Well, then later on, when that doesn't play out, your stock pays for it. Yeah. Right? So so a lot of that is happening. Then the other thing is, too, you know, with the, the heat of what happened, how fast everything was going up, you started getting easy money. Okay? And what is easy money? This is the second point. Like, mm-hmm. what what is easy money? Basically, what it looks like is you get people who are not doing their due diligence. Right, who are aggressively underwriting, who are getting FOMO and exactly. just buying into the stock, exactly until they're like no mo. Exactly, exactly, and it's hype driven. That's what I wrote here. So it has to do a lot with the sizzle, right? The pretty pictures and the story and the, you know, the superlatives, right? Um, this is going to be the biggest thing. Like it's going to disrupt all these industries, which is true, but doesn't mean your company is going to be worth five hundred million. Right. So it's it's that kind of grandiose thinking, which basically um, overrides sort of solid business principles. OK, uh, it's heavily emotion driven. Right. So euphoria playing on people's euphoria and their ability to make a quick buck. Right. Right. And um, it attracts some. Unsc- uh, oh, sorry. That, that's a little bit later. Um, also, it. It has to – people overlook their corporate governance. Mm-hmm. People don't look as closely as what could go wrong, 
right? They're focused on the upside. They're focused on the gain. They're not focused on the downside. It's greed. It's greed, but more specifically, it's um, sort of greed fueling, like fueling money to flow into a flow into a area. It's sort of like if I'm thinking of an analogy, it's like if greed is like water, like capital is like water. It's like there's an area where, for whatever reason, uh, it all it's all flowing downhill, right? Like everything in that area suddenly gets a wash. With that capital, yeah, the good and the bad. Well, this is kind of like in, in in capital markets, we call it like the formation of bubbles, right? You get a lot of people throwing in money into something they don't fully understand. They don't know why they're buying it. Highly speculative. Highly speculative, and the asset class tends to grow similar to a bubble. Yes, and eventually it has to pop. Well, this is Abby. That is a seamless transition to the next point of. What are the effects of easy money? Like, what does it actually look like, right? So like you said, asset values start rising very quickly because money is chasing after it. Yeah. And what happens, too, is when this first starts happening, there's typically a limited number of opportunities. Well, so, sorry, sorry, sorry. It wasn't asset values that start to rise quickly. Valuations start to rise quickly, but the assets don't catch up to it. Well, sorry, when I say when I say asset values, I'm talking about market caps. Of oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So like when I, I'm talking about a company being an asset, right? Okay, so gotcha. Company valuations start rising very quickly, right. right? And the fundamentals don't match up to it, so, the, so a disconnect begins to form. Well, the thing is there also are no fundamentals yet, right? Like for, in 2018, nothing was legalized yet, so you couldn't – like you could – there was only projections. Okay. So you couldn't point to – you couldn't look at, at anybody's margins yet, right? Like so – that's one of the problems it, is it almost has to be hype-driven and story-driven because there is no quantitative analysis, right? Okay. Now, what you probably could have done, which, again, we will do um, in the next episode, is you could have looked at some of the sales numbers for the more mature markets like Colorado, right? And you could have seen that, well, Colorado at full maturity is selling at you know this number per head, right? But but is the Colorado market at full maturity? Like like how would you know if a market's at maturity? Well, Colorado's been around a couple of years. They right. get a lot of pot tourism because they were one of the first ones to do it. So they also like the strategy they used was to go low cost. Yeah, and combat the black market. So mm-hmm. I would look at that as a very like a they, I think they have very close to full penetration. I fully agree with you that Colorado and California. I would I'm using the air quotes here when I say mature markets. They're more mature. No, no. But in 2018, California had just gone legal, so it wasn't a good comp yet. Okay. Colorado was a good comp because it's been legal a couple of years. Oh, uh, okay, okay. That's what I'm saying. But my whole thing with my whole thing with using the U.S. back then as a comp was that you know it was still by federally the way, illegal in the U.S. Yeah, still is federally. Sorry. Illegal. By the way, comp means comparable. Yeah. So just as something you can, you you know, like you look at that set of data and you try to then, you know, use it and apply it to Canada in some way. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I For the people at home, I know you know. <laughs> I was going to be explaining it to you, Abby. I was like, oh. <laughs> very condescending of you. <laughs> there you go. That was a good one. I'll give you that. Um, so, no, what, what, what I was trying to get at was that I don't think the U.S., was a was a fair comp, and the reason I say that is because it's it's still to this day federally illegal in the states. Um, whereas in Canada, you you had you had full on legalization on a national level, and because it was on a national level, the sentiment in Canada was very different, right? So, so just to, sorry, j- jump in. Your what I think what you're misunderstanding is I'm not using Colorado companies. I'm only using the raw sales data in C- Colorado. Just to see 
just to have some data points on how big will sale can sales be in a more mature market. That's it. Okay. In Colorado, there was you actually had a law you couldn't have public companies owning the the cannabis market. Okay. So, so there was no there was very there was really was no data mm-hmm. on market caps and stuff like that. But you could get aggregate data. How much money how much money was spent on cannabis in Colorado? Right. And because you have a couple years of data, I mean it's not perfect, but, yeah, but it, it's it better shows than nothing. You, well, yeah. it's way better than nothing, right? It's like it shows you this is an example of a market of 5 million people that went from zero to almost full penetration of of cannabis in legality. That, in that an analyst report that you read, did it allude to how they came up with that $4.6 billion sale revenue? Like, did they use the black market in no, Canada? Not, I, so I don't know, but I'm just saying, I just happened to be watching this video and scrolling through it, and right. it was like, the cannabis market, blah, 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 blah. Four, and I was like, what? 4.6 in 2019, and it's going to be one. One. Now, I think that'll go up. I think that'll probably oh, double next year. Yeah. But it's gonna be a while before we get to four point six. I don't know. See, I, I I'm not. I don't consider myself an aggressive investor. I don't. I consider myself quite conservative when it comes to valuations and look and using numbers. But I think we'll hit for probably next year or mid twenty twenty one. Abby, I will make you a bet right here, right now, that we don't touch four next year easily. Oh. We would be. I we're not even gonna hit three next year. We're not even gonna hit three next year. No. Can I? Can I take? Can I take three? Uh, we'll talk about it. We'll have to decide on the odds. I'll give you some under-over odds on No, you don't give me over-under. How about we just go 50-50? I'll say three. Because four uh, is a 400% increase, basically, to this yeah, year. Yeah, four is nuts. But, so here's the it thing. Each quarter, here's, you have to do a billion dollars like, sales. Is three impossible? No, but it's unlikely, and I'll tell you why. All, but hold on. Also keep in mind, maybe I shouldn't be giving this information if I'm, taking, if I'm giving this bet, but also keep in mind, right now in Canada, it's only dry flower sales. Next year, you're going to add extraction. Exactly. Edibles, so, right? so there's two things going for what you're talking about. First of all, the rollout's been very slow. BC just approved, like, I think 50 or 100 new licenses mm-hmm. for dispensaries. And dispensaries are really the bottleneck right now. It's a big, big problem. You get more dispensaries out there, those numbers are going to shoot up. That's just no question. So Ontario and BC, which are two big provinces, really need to step it up. Um, and if they, if that rollout speeds up, which unfortunately it's going to be very slow, but that's the X factor. That can really ramp things up. And then... Actually, the real X factor also is cannabis 2.0, vapes, edibles, et cetera. That's where we're standing today, more likely to get delayed than not get delayed, right? Or at least have a very slow and controlled rollout. So my guess is next year, yeah, I'll, I'll take your bet at $3 billion. Three billion. It's, you're probably going to be at the end of the year maybe closer to a run rate of $3 billion, right? But the no, overall— we're talking actual sales. Yeah, overall 2020 sales, you're not going to have that because your first few months are going to be light, is my opinion. Gotcha. So, yeah, it's you're you're gonna you're gonna probably hit around two, I think two and a half, ish. Like three would be a a high water mark. It's not impossible. It would everything would have to really click, for for that to happen. I think. Okay. And I think just the rollout will be too slow. Like the va- they're gonna be careful with these vapes and edibles and stuff. And yeah, the restrictions are gonna be heavy. They're not gonna sell that well at the beginning. They're gonna be the hard to get on shelves. You know what I mean? So so all this stuff is gonna pull it down still. Okay. And again, you'll see on next episode how if we look at the numbers, that will dictate a lot of what's happening in Canada. And that mm-hmm. says that, you know what? There's still more pain to come. Gotcha. Uh, so the effects of easy money. It inflates, inflates company prices. And I wrote here like the Oprah, like, you get money, you get money, you get money. Like people just walk in and just start giving companies money. And it just pushes prices up. Um, and also 
at these times, often there's limited amounts of opportunity. There's not a lot of companies um, ready to go yet, right? And so what happens is you have a lot of capital chasing few deals, and that's always a recipe for increasing asset values. By the way, I was going to tell you about real estate. This has actually happened worldwide to real estate since uh, 2008, because since 2008, two things happened. Interest rates went down a lot. Yeah. And uh, risk appetite went down a lot. So, well, yeah. Right? Like people saw in the stock well, market. Risk appetite went up. People were taking on more risk. No, I disagree. At the beginning, like after 08, yeah. people really had no risk appetite. No, no, exactly. Like, so what ended up happening when you lower interest rates, then you make borrowing cheap. Yeah. That's why you lower interest rates. And that allows it to stimulate the economy when borrowing mm-hmm. is cheap. Yep. It's not your money. It's called OPM, other people's money that you're basically investing. Yeah. And but let's the, say, and and when interest rates continue to remain low or start going yeah. lower, asset like bubbles in asset classes form. Yeah. So, but again, one of the reasons is because you have let's say let's say you're a pension fund. You have hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank, right? Uh, in cash. Okay. Well, when the stock market looks is more volatile and you're more scared of that, you want to keep your you want to look at the other asset classes, which are fixed income bonds, lending money, mm-hmm. right? Or alternative assets. Mm-hmm. So fixed income, the problem is when rates go down, now putting your money in the bank, you get very little, right? Yeah. Bonds bonds basically pay nothing. Mm-hmm. So now the problem is you still need safety, but you need some yield, right? So real estate then looks extremely attractive because, you know, maybe you can get, like, let's say you can get 1% from the bank in a GIC, right? Perfectly safe. Yeah. You can get 3% if you do a mortgage, you lend money to people, right? But you can get 5 6% if you buy real estate asset, right? And then you can actually borrow money at 3%. So now you're buying at five or six and borrowing at three, you're making an all in return or seven or eight, right? Mm-hmm. So you compare that to your 1% of leaving it in the bank or your 3% lending the money. That's what drives a lot of, um, that's what's driven a lot of appetite for commercial real estate, right? Gotcha. And even if people get lower yields, I think there's a real premium on hard assets and safety, Right, you know there's intrinsic value to owning a building. That's brick and mortar, right? Mm -hmm. You know there's intrinsic value to a property, right? So that's what's driven a lot of real estate, Um, and it creates, you know, it it drives up asset values, no question. Like there is significant yield compression in real estate, where you could have bought a property with a seven percent yield on it, and that might be, you know, like five now or four and a half now because the appetite is so strong, right? So Mm -hmm. it's not just cannabis that this happens in. It happens in a lot of asset classes. Um, it's just way more pronounced in cannabis. Like you just see it a lot more in cannabis. So just something to be aware of. Um, what the net effect of this, it often attracts a lot of unscrupulous characters. So people see this mad rush, people are going to take advantage of it. And there's some people who just want to throw something together, take a quick buck and move on. Right. And they don't necessarily care if it does well or do- doesn't do well because they made their money and they'll move on to the next thing, mm-hmm. right? And those kind of people are everywhere in the world. They will always be there. It's a byproduct of capitalism, unfortunately. Um, and cannabis was a ripe and probably is still a ripe playing field for a lot of these people. Okay. Right? Like if, if you're in a hype-driven world, right, and you can sell some sizzle and raise a bunch of money, right, and you can cash out a bunch, some people, some people in the world are going to do that. Right. Oh, okay. Okay. And some of that happened in cannabis. The end. The, so the industry term of that is called a promote. A promote. Yeah. Is that a negative term though? It is. It's. I mean, I I view it as a negative term. Um. I think a lot of people do as well. But basically, 
it, 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 exactly what you what you say, right? They you're you're raising capital off of a story, and then they promote the stock, and the right. stock starts to do really well. Right, right, right. And then when it comes to the actual execution, they're out. Yeah, maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. Exactly. Now, should I be concerned that I saw your driver's license and your middle name is promote? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. So um, last thing is, this is actually something I touched on a, a long time ago in one of our, I think, by, we're talking about valuations and, and et cetera. And one of the things I always hated was when people said, look, this we're raising money for this company. It's worth $25 million. But look at this, you know, look at what Canopy Growth is worth. It's worth this much. So comparatively, they're worth 20 times us, right? So we have a ton of upside. But what I always said was that kind of comparable, like just comparing market caps, it's like, yeah, they're way overvalued, right? Like you're assuming you're going to catch up to them. They might catch up to you. You know what I mean? So like it's not just like, hey, they're worth $2 billion, we're worth $20 million. Look at how much room we have to go up. It's like, right. yeah, they might come down. Who says that $2 billion is the right number? Mean reversion, right? I guess that's what it is. I'd say it's more, I don't know if it's, I would call it mean reversion. I would say it's just that um, people use these comps as data points, right? Mm -hmm. It's like same thing if you get into real estate speculation and a market gets really speculative. Well, if you're buying a house, it's based on comps, right? What, so what do the property down the street sell for? Right. Well, if that person is throwing money at it and suddenly they're being bid up by 10% all the time, then your comps are suddenly going to be way higher, right? So then right. if people just use that as their decision-making comps, mm -hmm. that can be very dangerous in a speculative market, right? Because like you said, asset values just keep rising and rising. You see that you have all these rising comps, right? But if it's right. propped up by cheap money, if the fundamentals aren't there, mm -hmm. that can reverse really quickly, Yeah. right? So that's some of what you're getting today. So to close it off, so what? What's the shakeout of all of this? What like what does this mean for companies? So let's so I think it's that the party stops. The easy money party stops. Now it's it's not necessarily done, but I think it's very hard to go out and promote a story. Um, I think people are gonna cr like criticize it a lot more. They're gonna really look at it. There has to be the right story there. You have to have the right team. You've got to have the ability to raise capital and have some good cash in the bank in the bank. Oh, excuse me. And I think you also just have to, um, you have to be giving investors good value, understanding that they are taking risk. They need to be getting a good potential upside. For sure. And here's a positive to all this. I mean, I guess technically that, those are positives, but here's a positive to all this from a, com from a company perspective. Typically what happens when you have these trough, I don't know if we're at trough valuations or not, or not, but typically what happens when you have these, these corrections. We got to be getting pretty close. Who knows? We're not. We there. There's no crystal ball. Exactly. But usually, some indicators of these valuations are you have a lot of M and A's, and I don't mean Manishas and Abbeys. There I mean you go. Literally mergers and acquisitions. More acquisitions, more than mergers. But you'll start seeing the larger, well-capitalized companies. And what I mean by a well-capitalized company is a company with a lot of cash on their balance sheet. Mm -hmm go out and they go shopping, right? Because a lot Absolutely. of, because there are companies that maybe their competition is cheaper now and they can just buy them out as opposed to um, compete with them. So you I, see a lot of that is happening. I wrote here on the shakeout part. I mean, you jumped to the positive part already, but I wrote here, the strong will survive and thrive. And what that means is they're, 
if you're a lot, strong. A lot of song references yeah. here. You know? <laughs> oh, is that a song? What song is that? I Will Survive. Okay, wow. <laughs> we, we, have, we have very different Spotify playlists, me and Abby. I don't have Spotify. <laughs> okay, so the what that means is if you're cashed up, you will survive the downturn. But ultimately, this will be good because when other companies are bleeding, your competitors are bleeding, like Abby says, you can go shopping. You can buy some ancillary businesses at pretty attractive valuations, right? You can choose, you know, just to sit on your cash. And then if other people get wiped out, which will happen, I'm telling you guys right now, there are some companies that have convertible debt that can't pay. There are some companies that are burning cash at such a high rate. It just You look at it and you're like, the, the party's going to be over for these guys. Like if you're burning tens of millions of dollars of cash or even just a moderate amount of cash and you don't have it on your balance sheet to burn. So how can people figure out burn rates? Okay, great question. It's actually very simple. Look at the financial statements when they come out, okay? Open them up, go through them. Um, first thing you, so what we look at is we look at the income statement. So what the income statement shows us is what kind of revenue are they making? What kind of gross margin do they have? What kind of expenses do they have? And then what's their profit? Now, the tricky part about this, there's a bunch of weird adjustments in cannabis, especially for biological asset value, which basically means when a, when a plant goes from being a, you know, just a little seedling to a full plant, you account for all the money, you know, the, the value of that thing just went up and you have this bud now that you, you record it as income essentially, right? That's really weird. You should strip that out. I don't think you should look at that in your decision making. But you want to see what the company is doing. What are their gross bar- margins? What are their net margins? Okay. On top of that, that t- tells you one piece of the puzzle, right? A lot of people just look at the net income number that's reported. Well, if that includes fair value adjustments, that's BS, basically. It, it mm-hmm. could be completely skewed. The other thing you, you're going to want to do is you're going to want to look at the cash flow statement. So the cash flow statement shows you – so that the Profitability statement, income statement shows you this is by accounting practices if we made or lost money and how we did it, right? right. But this is, this is definitely surprising for a lot of people. You can make a bunch of profit and actually be in negative cash flow. And why is that? Because, Abby, if I sell you a bunch of products, mm-hmm. I record that as revenue. Yeah. Okay? And I record that as gross profit and net profit. But... We might have payment terms. Actually, most people have payment terms. Mm-hmm. So you don't pay me right away. You might pay me in 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, whatever your payment terms are. So the problem is, Abby, I've spent all this money on all this product. I ship it to you. Yeah. I recorded as profit. Yeah. But you have not actually paid me. Mm-hmm. Right? So now from a cash flow situation, I've actually got cash. I'm out of pocket and you're just an account receivable. Right. So when you look at the cash flow statement, you're going to look at what is the cash flow from operations in the quarter, right? And typically it's negative if they're burning, right? Okay. So you're going to look at that and you're going to look at what is the cash flow in investment? So how much have they invested in themselves, okay? And you're going to look at how much they burned, right? And typically the cash flow from operations is something you you want to spend, take a closer look at because the investment part, maybe it's discretionary, right? Maybe they can slow that down if they need to. But the operations part is a lot harder to slow down. Okay. So if they lost, for example, you know, $5 million from operations, okay? And let's say they spent another $5 million on investing, right? So they burned $10 $10 million of cash, okay? What's their cash position now? 
right? Let's say their cash position is now twenty million. Okay. That means if they did the ex- if they had the exact same quarter, they can last two quarters, right? They burn ten. They've got twenty left. They can that twenty will last them two quarters, right? Okay. That means in the next by the next quarter they got to start doing another race, mm-hmm. unless they can slow it down or make it last or something, right? Yeah. So, probably uh, something for us to dig into deeper in another episode. But just a quick overview on what people should be looking for. Mm-hmm. And if they don't have the cash, guys, they have to raise it. They, yeah. And if they can raise it or they're, you know, they're going to have issues. This is going to be really real, real issues. And some companies will go under. Absolutely. And also, if they have to raise, share price is very important because that's what it'll tell you. What, like, that's what they peg the, uh, the, the raise to if they're going to do an equity raise. Yeah. What you're going to see, too, for some of these companies is – people are just going to say no mas. Like they're just going to say no, like we don't believe you can do it anymore. And either they're going to get really bad terms like convertible debt that really chokeholds the company mm-hmm. or the company's going to take a bath on the price, yep. right? Um, but at some point, like they just might get to a point where people just say no, they just can't raise the capital. Like that is a realistic possibility. And some of these companies, it's, it's definitely possible. Like some of these companies, you might see that happen. Um, and I'd be surprised, actually, if you didn't see it happen for some of these companies. And that's going to cause more pain, probably sector-wide. But the caveat is, and the, the positive of all this, is that you're going to see, like, when things happen, when a company goes under, it's going to reverberate across the sector, sector-wide, and everyone's going to get hit. People aren't going to differentiate about the winners, I don't think. They're going to get dragged down with them. Yeah. That's a buying opportunity. Right. If you can get if you can buy the winners at the right price, and I think today there's a lot of right prices out there. Mm-hmm. If you can get in on that, when this blows over, when those companies start to post their earnings, people I think will the market will return to rationality when these companies can show that they can pump out real profits. Okay. Right? And that they don't need cash anymore. They're generating cash now. Right? We will get there for some companies. We just can't say when. Okay. But it's starting, like, we're starting to get a clear path. Like, the next one to two years, we're going to start seeing that some Canadian companies, a lot of U.S. companies, or I should say some U.S. companies, not a lot. Makes sense. What do you think, uh, I don't know if we have to wrap this episode up or not, but, like, what do you think, who do you think the first company to go under would be? Oh, boy, that's a tough one. I think it's an easy one. You think so? I'd say it's Cantrust. Oh, yeah, that's probably true. That's Actually, that's a good one. Because they can't raise anymore. They're, they're basically done. I mean, they're yeah. like somebody might come buy the assets, but it's almost like... It's, You're it's buying just, a massive class action lawsuit. No, no, no. You could, no, I think you just do an asset sale, right? Yeah, so like you, yeah. lo- you leave all that behind. Yeah. Um, you just strip the assets out. But, I mean, they seem to be moving at such a leisurely pace. And nobody, they seem to be radioactive. Nobody really wants to come in and touch them. Yeah. Um, and they're, they lost their license now. Like, it, it just seems to be such a mess. Yeah. And unfortunately, Canadian LPs are getting hammered. Like, there's no, there's not really. There's no positive. There's not really a good story for. Yeah. Like, as we've said, the, the commoditization's already began. People aren't hot to trot on Canadian LPs anymore. Mm-hmm. A year ago, yeah, there's been a lineup of people to buy these assets. And it would have been fixed probably in a, in a second. Unfortunately, if the buyers aren't there, they're like, no, we've got more than we can handle right now. There's not a lot of cash floating around, right? Nope. <laughs> There's not a lot of, nope. Nope. A lot of nope. people right nope. now who have money to spend on that, right? Yeah, so, exactly. Um, and, you know, maybe that's what should happen, right? Like, Can Trust was just such a ridiculous, brutal story. Yeah. Those kind of black swan events drag down the whole industry. Yeah. Um, and it, 
it's a stark reminder that there's real, real risk and sometimes comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Right. Which is why you need to diversify. Okay. No more easy money. Welcome to the correction, people. Um, I think that was a, a good fact-filled or opinion-filled episode, but gave people a lot to chew on and think about. Uh, guys, we'd like to hear what your opinions are. podcast at gmail.com. And until next time. Welcome to the correction. We've got bulls and bears. There you go. Not bad. I like that. <laughs> Thanks, guys. This podcast is a general communication and entertainment being provided for informational purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan, feature, or other purposes. Any examples used in this podcast are generic, hypothetical, and for entertainment purposes only. None of Cannabis Investing Network or its affiliates are suggesting that the listener or any other person take a specific course of action or any action at all. Communications such as this are not impartial and are provided in connection with advertising and marketing of products and services. Prior to making any investment or financial decisions, an investor should seek individualized advice from, from a personal financial, legal, tax, and other professional advisor that take into account all of the particular facts and circumstances for an investor's own situation. By listening to this communication, you agree with the intended purpose described earlier. Opinions and statements of financial market trends that are based on current market conditions constitute our judgment and are subject to change without notice. We believe the information provided here is reliable, but should not be assumed to be accurate or complete. The views and st strategies described may not be suitable for all investors. Thank you.